know there's a lot of energy in this house this morning. Amen. A lot of power. Not my power, not your power. But the power of the blood, the power of the cross, the power of Jesus. While you're standing this morning, get a hold of your word. If you happen to be here this morning and not have one, just, if you'd like, just point at somebody to reach over and get a hold of theirs with them. They won't mind. We're going to declare what we declare without every service here. What we're singing about this morning is this. Amen. That's right. And the one it's about. Amen. Aren't you glad you're a Christian this morning? Amen. Aren't you glad you're covered in the blood? Amen. Aren't you glad you live under the power of the cross and the power of the Word? Amen. Amen. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. I will walk in it. I will walk in it. I'll abide by it. I'll abide by it. I'll adhere to it. I'll adhere to it. I'll stand upon it. I'll stand upon it. For it is my strength. For it is my strength. It is my power. It is my power. It is my life. It is my life. Praise God, I'm glad to be here. I hope Amen. you all are glad we can assemble this morning in this resurrection Sunday. And experience the goodness of God. 
It's all about resurrection. Brought us salvation. If you've received Jesus Christ into your heart, you've received salvation brought by God, sent by God to this earth in the form of His Son. And, you know, I've wondered a lot of times how many ways can you preach an Easter message? The four Gospels declare they speak of the resurrection. They speak of the crucifixion. Speak of the burial in between. They speak of the happenings of that day long ago. And if one was even able to and had the ability and it would have to be God alone and you know, it's just one of those things we're going to have to wait and see the glory of heaven. But what I'm trying to say is if we today could visualize what they saw back then, we might have a greater stirring amongst us. We might be more willing to worship and praise God and, and be glad and joyful of what it is that He's done for us when He sent Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. But He had to go through something before He could be our Lord and Savior. Amen. It stands before us. Yes. This isn't crucifixion Friday, this is Resurrection Sunday. There's some things of God that took place within a three-day parameter, if you will, that was by the plan of God. He prophesied in His Word to the ancient prophets that He was going to send the Messiah, a Savior to the world. And He did. And I'm a recipient of Him. Amen. Not that, but Him. Come on. I Amen. hope you are this morning. This may be the strangest kickoff to a Easter message you've ever heard in your life. I'm not going to one of the Gospels this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles today. The kids are... They go... Did they leave out? Okay, we'll see how it's caught up in all this. All right. To the book of 1 Corinthians. Hallelujah. First Corinthians. Chapter one. Everybody there. All oh, the Bible's good, but what a place to find a message for resurrection morning. Well, it's here. It's here. Go with me this morning to chapter 1, verse 25, where we begin. And the Word declares, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I'm going to read it again. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now look at verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. I'm going to stop right there. 
Speaking of the foolishness of God that's referred to in the Scriptures in Paul's writing, his first letter to the Corinthians, when we hear the word foolish, we, we kind of immediately attach to well, something that sounds crazy. Foolishness is nonsense. But what does the Scripture declare? God uses foolish things to confound the wise. Uses things that are despised to confound the wise. Things that are really of no significance whatsoever, at least to the world, to do the great things that it appears doesn't even exist, but through the glory and the supernatural ability of God, they do exist. Amen. We're talking crucifixion, burial, and resurrection this morning. Amen. So what's it saying to us? Let's take a look back. Let's take a journey back to what the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John recorded, and then Paul speaking in other books afterwards. Let's take a journey back to that day where I kind of attempted a moment ago to kind of create a visualization of what did they really see? What did really happen on that day? Let's start way back at the beginning before the cross. Let's go all the way to Bethlehem. How foolish of a thing would it be thought that God would send His Son to be born in a feed trough, birthed by a virgin, in a dirt hole on the back street of a city that nobody seemed to care about. Uh-huh. Amen. Amen. And from there, when he grew up and he began to minister, he was what you would refer to probably as a homeless guy. Because uh-huh. he said himself he didn't have a place to lay his head. Amen. Now doesn't that sound kind of foolish? Doesn't it sound foolish to the world that God would choose a way like that to present his son to earth and to the human people that lived upon it? as the Savior of the world. How in the world could a Savior of the world arrive in such a way as that? And as He ministered and He, he walked the earth, He, he went along and, and as, he, as He did so, He began to choose some pretty low-profile folks to follow Him along. Some meager fishermen. A despised tax collector. Uh-huh. Others that were not some kind of a element in society or had some great title or some government figure, he chose the lowest of the lowest. Isn't that foolish? Crazy. Yes, come on. What kind of God would do that? And as they went along and they began to walk with him and, and live with him, and they became pretty much known as the scourge of the earth because they were seen as troublemakers and rebels. Stirring up the thing that was existing at the time. He's messing with our society. Why? Seems to be foolishness that the Son of God would come along and create an uprising among the status quo, even of religion. You know who Jesus' greatest enemy was when He walked this earth? Religion. Traditions. Opinions. Thoughts of people. How in the world could a holy God that created everything send a guy like this to earth? That's pure foolishness. We're watching this. We're seeing it all take place. But God had a plan. Amen. He said because God uses foolish things. To confound the wise, despise things. Do you know Jesus was despised? Yes. Yes, he was. Do you know those that walked with him were despised? Yes. The Bible doesn't even record all the names they were called. How they were trashed from being followers. Of 
course, the Bible doesn't record a lot of things. I've mentioned that before. It gives us highlights. And that's one thing when we're looking at the cross and we follow through to the death of Jesus and then being placed in the tomb and then the resurrection, if we just look boom, 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 we miss a lot of how God uses foolish things to confound the world. Uh-huh. To confound the thoughts and the opinions and the traditions of men. Take it a little further. Seems real foolish that God being who He is would choose to use a rugged tree as an instrument of punishment to his only son. For the sins of a bunch of people who didn't deserve it to start with, that's pretty foolish, isn't it? At least some think, or did think. Those in that day, they gathered before the cross, and hey, it was a, it was a, a celebration day to them. We're getting rid of this guy. He's done nothing but cause trouble. Even the miracles he performed. Even the multitudes and the multitudes and the multitudes that had stood before him, blind, lame, halt, withered, crippled, whatever, and he healed them miraculously. They still did not get the message of God through that. They saw everything as foolishness. And they still despised him. They despised him on the cross. They mocked him. But before he got there, why would God, who's such a holy God and such a loving God, why would he allow his son to be subjected to a whip that ripped his back apart with 39 stripes and literally dug pieces of meat out of his back and took handfuls of his beard and pulled him out by the roots and spat on him and beat him? Why would a God do something like that to his son? That sounds rather foolish. But God uses foolish things to confound the world and to continue his plan for salvation. Hmm. You glad you're a Christian this morning? I ain't got the end of this thing. Give God a praise this morning. Give him a praise there for holy ground. I'm telling you something. Jesus. And I've seen, you know, we've probably all seen the since the I think the fifties and sixties when the you know the movies begin to come out of, of, of the Ten Commandments and and all these different movies to, to present day, and you know, with all the technology today, they can they can really dramatize things, make things look so graphic. But I've noticed in some of those, you know, the Romans there that have the cross and Jesus laying there, and they'd grab his arm and they'd wrestle with it, and they'd make him try to get it over there. I don't believe that happened at all. You know what I believe happened? I believe he went like this. Amen. For you and for me and all mankind. Amen. And I can't even imagine the God that loved His Son, that His Son became God in the flesh to walk this earth. And He did it for quite a number of years before He ever had the experience of the cross. But He knew Himself what was coming before He ever got there. Because He told the disciples, those that were with Him, followed Him pretty much all along the way, there's coming a point when I'm not going to be with you anymore. And he tried to explain to them, and they didn't understand in fullness. 
They didn't get it. A lot of people today don't get it. When you try to explain the gospel, some people just kind of look at you like, that's foolish, right? The nails, and you see three of them here, that's kind of symbolic, strapped right under that rope on that cross. They signify more than a piece of iron. Why would God? And this is questions that a skeptic might have. So I'm asking, why would God? I just can't believe this, because why would God? Allow crude, rough Roman soldiers that were battle-hardened and loved to see misery and pain. And these were assigned to crucifixion details. They knew how to do it. They knew how to make it hurt the worst. They knew how to bring about the most excruciating pain to the last drop. Why would God let that happen? That's foolish. But to God, it wasn't foolish. To God, it was His plan of salvation being accomplished. They lifted Him up between the earth and the sky, and He hung there for about six long hours. Not sleeping, not resting, hanging. I don't know what you know about crucifixion, but if you read about it, the attempts are to pull up on whatever that is has you fastened because it gets to a point where you can no longer breathe. Because your lungs become filled with fluids and such from hanging and not being able to gain oxygen. Not to speak of the pain that he had experienced before he ever got to the cross. Uh-huh. Amen. Bearing the cross down the streets of Jerusalem. Yes. What kind of God would have his son drag an old rugged heavy tree with timbers across his shoulders staggering and falling and struggling to get up? What kind of God would do such a thing? That's foolish. No, that's God's way of performing the salvation plan. He uses foolish things to confound the wise. Things that are despised to confound the wise or the world. Somewhere short of six o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus breathed his last breath and the word says he gave up the ghost. It means he died. What sense does that make? What sense in all the world does that make? Uh-huh. The skeptic again. Why would God, if there is a God, let his son experience such anguish, such misery, such torment, such pain. Again, for people that don't deserve it. Come on. Why would he do that? To the world, that's foolishness. To the world, that's something that doesn't even make a lick of sense. It's crazy. But if you're sitting here this morning and you're blood bought, and you know what happened and you know what the power of the resurrection is and everything that Jesus went through to get us where we're at, I believe you can celebrate with me this morning. Thank God for the miracle. Thank God. 
They took him down. And the Bible tells us that they wrapped him in fine linen. Now, at least there was an element of respect, but the respect came from those who loved him and walked with him. They were allowed to take his body, wrap it in a linen, because he was basically hanging there clothesless. I'm telling you, the worst of the worst is what Jesus took on. The most despicable things, the most disrespectful things that could possibly be done to him, that's what he underwent. So they wrapped him in the linen. And they put him in a borrowed tomb. Well, what sense does that make? To put a dead body in a borrowed tomb. Those things are forever, right? <coughs> Tells me something. And the foolishness that God used to confound the wise when they put Jesus in a borrowed tomb, that tells me he didn't expect to be there very long. Amen. Borrowed means that you're going to use it for a little bit and then you give it back. Amen. He went through everything he went through that many saw as foolish things as I've already been all over. Then they put him in this tomb. appeared foolish to him. But it's kind of funny sometimes what happens in the midst of foolishness. People kind of get thinking, I guess they did, that I might ought to roll a stone over the door. <laughs> because if word gets out that they try to make up some story that, and they steal him during the night, man, it's going to cause us a lot of trouble. That was their thought. That was their, their uh, anxiousness. Now, crucifixion took place on Friday. I saw a little cartoon drawing yesterday. Two little guys came up and one of them asked, said, why did they refer to the day Jesus was crucified as Good Friday? He said, it didn't look good to me. And the other one said, if somebody had died for your sins and forgiven you by their oh, blood amen. and given you eternal yes. life, isn't that good? Amen. Isn't that good? Yes. Friday. The Jewish Sabbath was on Saturday. They put Jesus in the tomb and they sealed the door. Rolled the stone over and sealed it. That's kind of foolish anyway. Why do you need to put a stone over a door? I mean, the guy's heart's not beating and he's no longer with us, so no chance of anything happening there, right? <laughs> oh, there he was. All day the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath started at 6 o'clock Friday evening and lasted till 6 o'clock Saturday evening. Now, Saturday was the Sabbath and the Sabbath is a day to be honored but that God set forth in His commandments, right? All throughout the oh, there's significance in this. What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? He rested. He rested. Because something big was getting ready to happen. 
He'd already endured and went through all of the work. Now it's time to rest for a season. It gets better. Do you know it gets better? Amen. Amen. Foolishness just keeps increasing. From 6 o'clock Saturday evening on through the night, which in this day and time, virtually you could do nothing else anyway because it's dark. Somewhere in the wee hours of Sunday morning, the day following the Sabbath, something began to happen in the graveyard. Jesus in his stone-cold state of death as had been previously. I don't know how it happened, but I'm going to say it this way. All of a sudden, his eyes popped open. Uh-huh. You going there with me? Come on. Come on. I don't know if I'm going to And I believe that he raised up. And the Bible tells us that sometime in that daylight, the, between dark and daylight, somewhere in that period of time, you know, the women had went and brought all these spices and put them together to anoint his body with, and they show up and, and they say, talking in their discussion as they go along, who, who's going to roll the stone away from the door? Because the stone is massive. And all of a sudden one of them looks and says, hey, look, the stone's already rolled away. Somewhere in that time, Jesus, that stone was moved and Jesus, our Lord and Savior, come walking out of that tomb standing on His feet. Praise God. I'll tell you something else. He wasn't bloody. Lord back. Anybody here in this church house this morning? Amen. He wasn't bloody. The only scars he had was in his hands and in his feet, and he walked out of that tomb with them. Hmm. I've thought about this, and this is another creation of my own gift at this morning. This is something that I want to insert right here. Because when you're talking about what happened with the tomb and the resurrection of Christ, you've also got to talk about the other side of this thing and their reaction to it. And I'm speaking the devil, demonic, hellish reaction. And I can see that agent of hell swooping into hell where Satan's sitting there in the midst of the party celebrating the death of the Son of God in the smoke and the brimstone and the fire and banners hanging everywhere. The Son of God is dead. The Son of God is dead. And this, he says, hold on. We got an issue. And Satan says, What's up? He said, It ain't what's up, it's who's up. He said, What do you mean, who's up? He said, The one we put in the tomb the other day. Satan said, But I watched him die on Calvary's cross. He said, Him being up, he said, That ain't all. He's walking around. What do you mean walking around? He said, I ain't the worst of it. He ain't dead no more. He's alive. Praise God. Jesus was alive. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Listen to me this morning. He walked 
on the earth for 40 more days after his resurrection. Now those that had been with him, the Bible tells us they even fled and left him because of fear that the same thing was going to happen to them. And don't anybody sit here this morning and say, I wouldn't have done, or, you know, we probably would have done the same thing. Jesus knew it was going to happen anyway. Foolishness that a dead body could be thought after lying in a state of deadness for more than 24 hours could possibly live again. But by God using foolish things to confound the wise, He brought His Son back to life with resurrection power. And that's not all. The same resurrection power that Jesus was raised with he has given to those who would believe in Him. Praise His name. Every one of us, if we would believe and accept Him, the same resurrection power lives in us that rose Jesus out of that grave on that Sunday morning, resurrection morning, a long time ago. God, we're grateful this morning. Amen. John declared in his gospel in 3.16, he said, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whomsoever believeth in Him, in Him, not about Him, not of Him, in Him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. See, believing in Jesus is Hallelujah. not just not about Him. It's accepting Him in your heart and having a relationship with Him. Placing your trust in your life in His care. That's what in Jesus is talking about. It's not as simple as just having a thought. Well, I guess he kind of existed. Isn't it wonderful the foolishness of God and what it brought about? Amen. How God uses those things to bring about and fulfill his plan and, and this the greatest plan of ever that he brought us the salvation he did through Jesus? Yes. You saved this morning? Amen. You rejoicing because you saved? Yes. You appreciate God because you saved? You thank you Jesus because you have received the mercy and the grace that He came to bring and went through everything He went through? But when He walked, He went various places. The disciples were gathered in a, a place and they had, basically the place was locked down. And all of a sudden, guess who was standing in their midst? Jesus. And I can visualize that to you. They're all still in fear, by the way. You ever live in fear? There's something significant happening right here. They were all couched down because they were afraid about any time the door was going to be crashed in by Roman soldiers and they were going to be drug away. And the same thing happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. But all of a sudden, they look and there he is. Walk through the wall, by the way. So that's foolishness. I tried to imagine that, Lath. We're somewhere, you know, sitting. All of a sudden, he says, Hey, how are you guys doing today? <laughs> and you look up. Can you imagine? We need to imagine more. Amen. Awesome. Powerful. He'll live in your life the same way He entered that room that day. He'll come in and be with you. 
even in your fears, even in dark times, Amen. even when it looks like it's the end of the end, when you receive Him as Lord and Savior into your life, He's always with you. Yes. Amen. And His resurrection power remains. It's never going away for all that believe. That's why we celebrate today. We're going to close in just a minute, but I'll share something I thought rather interesting. And some people have asked me this, well, how come Easter's always this day or March or April or this or that? Why is it always mixed up from year to year? Easter, the date of Easter is declared by the full moon. And it's the first full moon after the spring equinox begins on March 21st. What's today? No, what's the date? 17th. 17th. Did you notice the full moon the other night? Amen. I thought that was interesting. God's got some foolish things to kind of remind us of just how awesome and good He is. Amen. That's just one of them. And I just threw that out there for, for a kind of a, a knowledge for you. We're going to close here. But I want to do something before we, we do. And I'm going to walk right over here and we're going to start where our salvation started. Right here. And if you can at all, just attempt to visualize just for a few minutes what happened right there and before right there. I really believe it's made too light of, even in the preaching circles. And I've had some say that's just too graphic and too violent sounding. I don't want to be exposed to that. Expose me all he wants to. Because yeah. yeah. that's the way it was. And the blood that ran from his body on that day and ran down that cross able to cover my sins thousands of years later? Amen. That ain't foolish. That's reality. Amen. Thank you, Lord. received uh, some information this morning from a friend who sent this to me that the New York Post had posted an opinion piece in the newspaper for today. Anybody familiar with Passover? Passover before Easter? Yeah. He was the sacrificial lamb, right? On Passover? The opinion piece was by person who declared at a rather lengthy writing that it's just time the world passed over God. Mm. You know what I'd like to send back? Good luck, buddy. There ain't no such thing as luck. If you don't have the blood, you'll never find out the joy Amen. and the life that's available through what Jesus, our Lord and Savior, did. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Give him praise.